When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hi, I'm David Pachutoto, and you're listening to Story Behind the Song on Consequence. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Story Behind the Song. I'm your host, Peter Chotty of Creative Media. Those drums, that trance-inducing hook, and oh, that chorus, Africa. Toto's iconic song from 1982 doubles as one of the biggest earworms of the past several decades. That's Toto, supergroup of session players who came together in 1978. David Page is Toto's man behind the song. Vocalist, keyboardist, and writer of Toto's biggest hits like Rosanna. But nothing comes close to Africa, which has been streamed over 1 billion times on Spotify alone. There's something simply timeless and cross-generational about that song. It celebrates its 40th year this year. And yet Africa almost didn't see the light of day to make it onto Toto 4, the band's fourth album that broke things wide open and saved the band from being dropped by the label. So how did Paige come up with Africa's classic earworm-worthy hook? And where did those lyrics come from? Well, answers to all those and more. So just take a listen as we dive into the story behind the song with David Page of Toto. So Dave, thanks for joining us. And today we're going to be true to the name of this podcast. We're going to be talking about the story behind the great song, Africa. This song, this great song came from the Toto 4 album, which I remember very, very well coming out, won six Grammy Awards itself, including Album of the Year. Yeah. And Africa was not the record of the year. Rosanna was the record right. of the year. And you right. and you wrote that song, too. I did write that song. And the band kind of crystallized that year in our music making. And we kind of, it all fell into place, what Toto sounded like and what we were supposed to do. We all knew it. We're all very confident, and uh, we wouldn't even made those records. You know, we wouldn't even made a Rosanna because the records company said they needed a uh, a hit single on a new album because we had had a couple of hit singles on two albums. So I put everything I had into that one single. Of all my knowledge, I said, if this doesn't work, I'm going to rethink my career here. You know, and, uh, <laughs> so luckily uh, the gods were with us, and uh, we. Uh, we were very lucky, very fortunate, blessed that year, and to have it win the record of the year 
and album gear. It sounds like you felt pressure going into the studio. Our record company led us to believe that we were teetering on the fence from getting playing again, getting picked up to do more albums after this fourth album here. It was a four-album deal. I mean, we weren't that nervous, but we knew that we had uh, something over our head hanging, you know, the sword, you know? <laughs> yes, and the sword is the album cover itself. That's right, designed by Jeff Carl, our drummer. He designed it, came up with the sword thing for uh, the first album and the second album, Hydra, had the sword in it. And turn yeah. back was a departure, but uh, we got back to the sword on the tw on tour of four. And <laughs> gotcha. so that's what motivated us to uh, kind of make this album is, is going to be the album for us. So, so David, when you face that kind of pressure, kind of do or die, like you said, yeah. how do you even get your head together to write songs? Is this, what is your process? I usually sit in my room at a grand piano and to start writing riffs. I like to write riffs and grooves and things that could possibly have a verse or a chorus written to. And I think the first one I did was, I, and also I had got some new instruments, some new toys, uh, synthesizers. One was called a CS80, which is essentially a, the Stevie Wonder Dream Machine. That's a, like a couple stereo CS80, but two of them, uh, a double manual CS80. But I had one CS80 and it had this horn flute sound. And as soon as I sat down and played the first chord, I started playing the riff on Africa. And it just sounded perfect. And that's what's all the record. After I had that, I had the riff and I played that for days, of course. You know, it's just, he played it after dinner, you know, go for a walk, come back, keep playing the riff. And all of a sudden the verse melody came to me that I sing in the verses. And so I played that on my CS80. And then I gave it, took a break and I went in my uh, studio and I played uh, uh, on piano, I just went into, I was playing, pulling around the song, and I went to a chorus, and I sang the words to the chorus instantaneously, like they just came out uh, randomly, of the four lines, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, I just stopped and said, I'm on to something here. I, I know I have, I know I've got something, you know? And this was a, at the point of the album where we were confident we had a whole album. You know, we had 10 cuts, I think. This was like the 11th hour cut. It was the wild card where everybody said, I, I brought this song in and played it for him uh, without a demo. And everyone said, good luck on your solo album. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a mistake. We got nine going on this album. You, you do keep this for yourself. No. And uh, so I didn't. So but the band got interested in it uh, because I may turn you into an experiment. Uh, not unlike what Peter Gabriel does, which is to start with loops, drum loops. I got Jeff to create a African drum loop. Then we uh, start overdubbing instruments one at a time, and it just started blo blossoming and, like I said, crystallizing. It, it before our very ears, it started to bloom and take on its own shape. And uh, when we did the chorus, sang the choruses, uh, we knew we had a, a decent song to go on the album, not knowing that it would ever, ever get any airplay or do anything whatsoever. Because we thought we had Rosanna, I thought we had Make Believe, uh, Afraid of Love. I thought there was, uh, I won't hold you back, you know? And never, never in a million years did we think Africa was going to. That was kind of like our, our experimental world music type. When you had the CS80 that you were talking about, 
and you sat down for the first time and you just unpacked it. You were playing around with it. And you said that this came to you like that, that um, hook came to you right away. The dum dum dum. Yes. As soon as I started playing the, the, the sound that I heard, I played the rip. And that was the first time I played the riff, you know, and I just played it again. I kept playing it over and over. When I hear sounds, I'm a very reaction, reactive person. And I react to sound with me, myself, Greg Philip Gaines, Steve Picaro, all of us as keyboard players, players have this intu- intuition that when you get a sound, you start playing something that works with that sound. So instinctually, I just went to th- certain chords that uh, felt not right at that time. And I played that, that ended up being that intro. And that's what I say about riffs. I like to, I don't keep playing and do a long gated three minute song. I usually start with a, a little riff like that on a lot of my songs. You'll hear Hold the Line, you'll hear Rosanna as a piano riff in front. And uh, uh, it became the, the body, the, the connect, connective tissue to the song. Uh, by playing bow, 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 in between uh, the verses, each verse, it kind of uh, re- resets everything, you know? Had you ever been to Africa before? No, never have. Always wanted to, always watched travel logs, National Geographic, UNICEF commercials, and it was kind of a, a dream come true. That's one of the reasons I started, uh, co-founded the band with Jeff, because we kind of wanted to travel and see the world, but I yeah. didn't want to join the Navy, you know what I mean? I wanted to do it uh, with a band uh, touring, you know? Yeah. But I thought there was yeah. a way to see the world. So we eventually, in the 90s, got to South Africa and played Africa in Cape Town and in Johannesburg. And that was like a, a pinch me moment, a dream come true, you know? Because we had local singers and percussionists join us on stage. And it was very inclusive, very organic, and uh, a lot of humanity in the performance. So you had these thoughts early, the, you know, re- National Geographic, things like that, but it certainly wasn't top of mind. You weren't, when you had this riff, it just organically came out of you. So when I said, I bless the rain sound in Africa, it's the tone for lyrically what I wanted to book in that with and start working on a narrative that would connect this soul searching for commitments, this gentleman, this person, whoever it is, and just kind of use some um, poetic license, connecting some dots for this guy to make a connection uh, for some kind of commitment outside of his vocation, which is doing social work in uh, uh, Africa. I blessed the rains. That was the first thing that came out. So that was the foundation from the lyrics. It's going to take a lot to drag me away from you, came out. And there's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. And then I said, I bless the rains down in Africa. And that's when I stopped. And I went, I've got to write this down right now because I, I, I'm on to it. I was in my, my studio uh, at the time in 81. I think I started writing this. I was in my house in, in Sherman Oaks and uh, in the studio in a little pool cabana that had been converted to a studio. And I had pianos everywhere. I had two pianos in the house and I had another piano in the studio with all of our gear. And so I went out to the studio and was at the studio and played. I had a friend of mine, Dan Ferguson, who I played guitar with uh, all my life. And he was over, we were just jamming. And I started going into the song and just 
jamming on it a little bit. Then I sang that chorus and I just stopped and I went over and started writing words down. So when you wrote the words down and it, it came out of you, it sounds yeah. like, yes, that's it. I'm not going to change anything. Yeah, that's, what, that's the way I really felt. And sometimes to a fault, I get married to things too early and I get my ways and, and now I look back on a lot of songs. I wish I'd uh, just changed a word here or a phrase there that I was too married to at uh, too quickly, you know? So uh, uh, this is one of those where uh, I got pretty much right. There's, I, I have a couple of little changes I would have done in the verse, but uh, that's between me and the Lord, you know? I, I think you got it pretty right. When you have Looks. when you have pe when you have people who are still singing that song, it's uh and and it's multi generational. You know, my yeah, kids, uh, everybody knows this song. Yeah, everybody seems to love it. It's alive. It's it's a real crowd pleaser, and it unifies the the experience. It's a whole different experience when you do the live experience. You commune with the crowd, and yeah. uh, Africa helps us do that because we have a sing along part at the very end where the whole crowd gets to join in and it's very effective joseph does a great job selling it and uh uh it's such a joy to fill the energy in the room i want to ask you about one of the lyrics that i've always that's always perplexed me gonna take some time to do the things we never had for yeah. some reason i i never understood the things we never had instead of the things yeah. we never did there's a subtext that's going on through this whole song about, uh, you know, I kind of envisioned a mail order bride back in the early, in the middle of the century there. This, they I think they had been making plans together to do stuff, but they were too caught up. He was too caught up in his work, kind of like Stanley Livingston, you know? And uh, so this was going to be the point at time which they were going to uh, create their union and, uh, and start living life and traveling. It's one answer, okay? You know, that's the beauty about music, right? That there is yeah. no, you had your, what inspired you. And yeah. I hear this all the time when I speak with great artists is that part of the fun is that everybody has their own interpretation of things. Absolutely. No, like Bob Dylan never explains his lyrics, but this particular song, I let everybody, everybody, I've read so many versions of what people think the song means. And some of them just nailed it down, connected the dots. And, and finish the narrative, the subtext in it, better than I could ever do it, you know? So I read these and I go, that's amazing. That's exactly what was going through my mind. But if someone gets it, there's people that get it out there, you know? They are able to yeah. follow the story, you know? So tell me, when you presented it to the band, you already kind of described what their initial reaction was. Tell me about that experience. I, when I presented it to the band, I played it for Jeff Percaro. And I told him we need a loop for it. So what I did was have Jeff make the loop first and get this pulse. I knew it needed this pulse and it needed to be very South African. And so Jeff went in and made this pulse thing happening with the drums and the sticks and all this African stuff. Because his dad's a percussionist. He used to do a lot of the uh, percussion on National Geographic just happens to be. And so once I had that beat, once I had the beat, I sat down and played the solo on just the, that sound that I had, the CS80 from top to bottom. And I kind of sang it how it goes. 
I had a verse and I had the chorus. So I was able to connect a whole song together and make the form, the structure, which had an intro, a verse, a chorus, an intro, a verse, a chorus, a solo, a last chorus out, and then an outro, which is kind of almost standard form a lot of things. So, and when everybody heard that, they, everybody picked up their instruments and started putting their overdubs on, wanting to get involved. And uh, it just, everybody is so inventive in my band that they all came up with their own parts and uh, they just fit magically, you know? And then they stayed on it. We made the uh, back, initial, initial background vocals and brought Tim Schmidt, Tim Schmidt from the Eagles in to just add the high harmonies of it. And uh, it, like I said, it just, we didn't know what it was. We just thought, oh, this is kind of an interesting little ditty, a uh, little world music uh, cut that we'll finish the album with, you know? But at first you said that they were kind of giving you, I don't know if it was a hard time. Oh yeah. That... Well, first, yeah. Yeah. The first, the, in the first stages when I played it, after I played it a couple of times, everybody's just looked at each other because we had all these other great tracks like Rosanna and what holds you back a real modern sounding contemporary track. And they looked at me and said, this is going to be great on your solo album, which means yes. not, we were tossing it from this album. You know, it's kind of a joke, kind of an inside joke. They weren't sincere, but a little right. bit they were, you know? <laughs> right. Well, like you said, you've already felt the band and you, you felt that you had a full album yes. and that it was a strong album. And so this came in at the 11th hour and yeah. look at, it, it's amazing how life works that way, that yeah. the unexpected comes in and becomes your, I wouldn't say, yeah, I would say signature song. You have all these other great songs, but well, Africa is just, there's something in the zeitgeist about Africa. Yeah. And so it's our only number one song we've ever had, uh, Africa. And uh, it just connected with super people and I, for a lot of different reasons, I always try and make and poetry to the lyrics and make them poetic. You know what I mean? That's, that's what it's all really about is, is to, uh, you know, write from your heart. And so I think people connected with some, some of the individual lines, you know what I mean? It's just isolating each line and taking them. I think, uh, people might have connected with that and a combination of the symbiotic, uh, uh, relationship it has with the music and the melody you know i think it's it's a marriage of vocals of, of excuse me of lyrics and melody together uh creates a certain mood and i think i captured that on the chorus i'm going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with more of the story behind the song When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everyone, we are back with David Page of the band Toto, and we're talking about the story behind the song, the great song, Africa. 
And you said that it, it's Toto's only number one song. So when it came out the gates and and had the kind of impact it did, was that surprising to you and the band? It was totally surprising. First of all, we wanted to uh, have other songs with our lead singer, Bobby Kimball, on him, you know? He was a, really our lead singer. And uh, although Luke sang lead on a few songs, uh, it was kind of like one of my self one of my tracks, personal intimate tracks here. And no one expected that to be like a rallying point around our singles. You know what I mean? We wanted to come yeah. up with a, a little more of a, a bigger impact with some powerful performances. And this was kind of a mid-tempo, adult contemporary, kind of plodding along kind of song. And uh, we just didn't think it was going to be, uh, didn't, no way to prophesize the future of that uh, particular what I call phenomena would happen with, you know, which is just uh, got bigger than itself, you know. So uh, very grateful and very lucky on that one. You know? How did you feel about Weezer's 2017 cover of the song, which is, I just listened to that again the other day and not intentionally, it just came across on like Sirius XM or something like that. And it's remarkable to me how little they changed and in, in the way that they did it. So how did you feel about that? I was incredibly flattered, which I am when people redo uh, songs of mine. It's a totally flattering and uh, felt very luck. I thought they did a great job on it, you know, because it's not an easy song uh, to do. He just sang the vocal and they played the stuff and it was, it was I thought it was very respectful and they all intact. Every all the right uh, components were still there, and I think that's what made it a hit again. You know, speaking of that song, or of the fact that it was a hit again, it was Weezer's top charting song um, since two thousand eight. Real, yeah. And then, as I was doing a little research for this, I saw that Toto covered Hashpipe of Weezer. Well, they did at yeah. some point. Yeah. At some point. Uh, that was Steve Percaro's uh, invention. He's he got us all together. So we need to re retort. We need to reply, volley back. So the band did a version of Hanishpike just to say, hey, thank you. And we we hear you. We hear you guys. I love that. I think it's classic. Uh, your band is truly a, a super group of session musicians who worked with all the greats and and including... Well, you co-wrote, from what I understand, a number of the songs on Boz Skaggs's Silk Degrees album, which was, uh, you know, a massive album back yeah. in the day. It was a massive album. You and other members of the band have played with all the greats. Pink Floyd, Eric Clapton, Paul McCartney, The Eagles. You know, this is truly a super group. And yeah. you were all and you played together as session players. And then you formed the band in 1978. And because you want, you know, obviously there was something in you to create mm -hmm. your own. Who came up with the name Toto? And what is the real story behind the name story uh, uh, Toto for the band? I have to give credit to Jeff Percaro. And I was there when he, he laid it out. We were trying to, I told him that we were looking for a name like Kodak. And Kodak had been come out of a computer need. They did look for computer names uh, that were easy to spell, easy to pronounce. That was that was the intent of coming up with Kodak. So there was no ambiguity. And uh, so Jeff wrote down the word Toto, and we just stuck. 
we said, yeah, that's simple enough. We, we want a name like that, but we don't want that name. We want to come up with a name simple like the who, yes, the Beatles, the Eagles, something very catchy, but simple to spell. And so we just put Toto on our demo box and, uh, and our cassettes. So the record company started playing our cassettes for the powers of bees. Uh, they started writing up contracts and said total on them and everything. And we were just like, wow, we, that's our name for sure. You know, it's on the contracts. So we just went with it. And uh, that's why we, the, we're calling the tour, it's called the Dogs of Oz tour. As, as, uh. as we were going to change, actually change the name to the Dogs of Oz at one point. And go. This we're not Toto anymore. We're Dogs of Oz, but uh, we just do that. He- heavy metal, heavy metal band, Dogs of Oz. Exactly, rock, heavy rock and bad. You know, so uh, that was our intent. So and it had nothing to do with the Wizard of Oz. You, you well, weren't it did. All... It did. It Jeff, Jeff, we signed that. That the dog is the little, the little dog that could, yeah. and it was actually the hero of the movie. So we decided. Uh, uh, it was okay because Toto had a lot of different meanings around the world. It's a betting term in Europe, and uh, it means little boy in Swahili, and it's a Latin term that means all or everything, you know, Toto. In Toto. Yeah. And, and obviously with all the session players and, and all the experience you had, it truly is like bringing in all these experiences together. Is. It and really so is. What's your favorite Toto song? I'd have to say Rosanna. What's your personal crowning achievement? What are you most pro- proud of in your career? Actually reaching for the stars and reaching for the dream of being an artist and having a band and having it come to fruition and be successful and uh, to be we get respect from our peers. So I think the crowning achievement probably was, was winning the Grammys and letting everybody know validate, it validated us amongst our peers. People like Elton John stood up in the audience and was applauding when we won the record of the year and everything. And you can't beat that for uh, uh, respect and, and, and uh, fulfillment, you know, and reward. So if you hadn't gone for it, like you said, and, and had the success that you did and made it past album three, you know, and yeah. having total four, what do you think you would be doing right now for your career? I'm trying to make, write songs for other artists and produce other artists. I was mm-hmm. into producing mode and stuff, so. I was, you know, when I'm taking on some production and maybe some songwriting with other artists, but always some way to be attached to the music business. Because I grew up in it with my father was a famous arranger, jazz arranger. Then he started producing records and he produced, we did uh, Got To Be Real with my dad, with for Cheryl Lynn. And uh, uh, we also did, my dad produced The Way We Were, uh, which I played on for Barbara Streisand. I was growing up with, with watching records be made and with my family, with my dad and stuff. Uh, it was kind of a family business and, and fun too at the same time. So uh, uh, that was a very, I was very fortunate to grow up, uh, being able to see professional uh, musicians and produce, producers uh, work firsthand. You know? That's pretty amazing because the way, you, way we were, is such a massive song itself. Yeah. And to have that happen, father, son, you know, go into what you did. Yeah. Was your father there at the Grammy Awards when you yes, won he was. album of the year? Yes, he was. In fact, I, there was one category 
where he was in, and I was in the same category. I think it was back background arrangement for a vocal. And I think wow. he was up for Chloe. I think he was up for Chloe with Elton John. And I was up for Rosanna with my group, and I won. And they asked my dad. My dad put his arm around me. And of course, all, every newscaster was there. It could, could have been there. And they all asked me, what, what did you think of your son winning the category that you were in? And my father looked at the camera and said, I demand a recount. And it was very lovingly, but it was very funny, you know. There was probably a little hint of truth to it. It's like, oh, oh no, my son. Uh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> a little bit of spice for sure. Yes. And you, uh, and it's also nice, like, from the son to say, see, dad? That's right. Look at this. That's, That's right. That's pretty cool. What are you listening to? What's kind of an endless loop for you right now? I'm listening to a lot of Peter Gabriel, his new stuff mm. that came out. I love Peter Gabriel, but he's fascinated with his new stuff. I like Jacob Collier very much. Are you familiar with him at all? I'm, I know the name, but I'm not familiar with his music. Check out Jacob Collier on YouTube. He's Quincy, he's managed by Quincy Jones. He's probably the closest thing to our, our new Stevie Wonder and Peter Gabriel that there is out there. It's a combination like Stevie Wonder and Herbie Hancock and Peter Gabriel. He's a genius. He plays all the instruments, makes these fantastic videos. And I saw him live, and he was just blew my mind live, and his per persona and everything. But, but not unlike Peter Gabriel's, and uh, but he does beyond he's next level uh, music and producing. He's the standard, I think. Now, you know, one of many. That's yeah. I know? mean, that's amazingly high praise for somebody who's work. You know, like you who worked with the greats yeah. and Peter Peter Gabriel, one of my all time favorites. Also, yeah, absolutely. Just, so the band is touring. Toto's touring right now with Journey. That's right. Uh, and and also doing its own headline acts, dates. You're musical director for the band right now. That's and right. tell me a little bit about that, because my understanding is that you do play occasionally, but not full time. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I go fly out and do some surprise appearances. You know, I just was, I was in Savannah and I'll be coming to two or three more cities when they reach the West Coast. Well, we hope we see you on those shows. Yeah. And then you and you released your first solo album called Forgotten Toys last That's year. Right. So in 20 2022. So how did that happen that your first solo album at this point in your career? Well, I'd always been, you know, uh making records and stuff and 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 doing them in my studio and making demos and everything. And some people admitted a long time ago we should do a solo record. And I felt that I was doing the same thing that I would do for a solo record with my total records is get those best musicians I could, which were those guys in my band to me, uh, the most inventive. And it was fulfilling for me just to be an artist in Toto and write my songs and get to sing a couple songs on an album. It would just it gave me total satisfaction. But then when COVID hit, Steve Lukather decided to make a solo album. Joseph Williams decided to make a solo album. They had done solo albums, 10 albums before each of them and stuff i hadn't done one so they they kind of i kind of got bullied into it <laughs> but with my friends my best friends they said you come on you got to do it for a little solo album we got to put one out so all three of us will have them out at the same time and people can put them on shuffle and just listen to the three albums and kind of get the feeling of a total album you know that was the that was a one idea one thought so uh 
Uh, I just I had a couple of pieces. I got Joseph Williams, who really is a, uh, knows how to produce. He's a great producer, and he knows how to get the best out of me. And so he says, well, let's take this song first, which was uh, uh, the first time on on the record. And uh, and we kind of cherried that out, and and, and it gave us, uh, shed the, shone the light on us, uh, opened the door to do more. So I did, once I did that one, I started a second one. Then a third one, then a fourth one, then a fifth one. I didn't want to make a, a long playing album because I just didn't feel I had the right material to sustain to everybody's interest. You know, I didn't want it to be boring. I wanted it to be all good cuts. You know, so uh, but I did want to. I did want to do something that I could uh, have control of creatively and be the final say on what goes on. So it was funny. It's kind of something I've been building up to all my life. So that when you were talking about um, the pr- the production of it and going back to Toto 4, that album in Africa, who produced that album? Uh, that was produced by the band, but okay. I have to say that I was at the helm a lot of times of a lot of the songs because I had more experience producing and I would sign the, the, the sheet to go in and out, you know, at night, what time do you enter? What time you go out, but yeah, everybody else. It was it was a collaborative effort, and I think a lot of uh, inventiveness came from the band when it came to that. But in those days, we didn't have automation everywhere. Yeah, for sure. The reason why I asked that is because you said that you didn't produce your solo, and I'm curious why. You could be well, I co-produced. Such- I co-produced it with Joseph. So okay, uh, you co-produced it. Yeah, yeah, I co-produced it with him, but he was at the helm mainly. Because uh, he does such good uh, adaptations. When I give him a demo, he really knows how to adapt it and put real and put drums to it and and put vocals on it and really get it ready to have musicians to you know make it musician worthy, as we call it. What is something that is on your bucket list that you still haven't done, but it's a, a goal of yours going forward? One goal of mine, I think, would be to play with the Rolling Stones live. I'd like to play with the Stones or record with them, but mainly play live with them. But but I got a little taste of that because I did get to work on Keith Richards' solo record. It was about four, I think it's four years old now. And uh, Steve Jordan was producing it. He was a very good friend of mine and great drummer. He produces Keith's solo records. He's also the drummer in the Rolling Stones right now, just happens to be. So uh, Steve Jordan called me, just in a car for me. He said, I'm not going to tell you what you where you're going, but just get in the car. So I went to this block, this construction zone at night, at 8, 10, 10 o'clock at night in New York City, and dropped off, went, walked over to an elevator in the construction zone, and went up to the third floor where there was a session going on. And I could just see Keith's head in the back with his bandana on, playing. I went, oh, my God, I get to watch Keith work. And Jordan says, "No, you're gonna you're gonna play. You're gonna play tonight. I'm gonna do an overdub on Keith's album." And I was just a pinch me moment, you know, yeah, right I there. So I got to meet Keith, hang out with him, and played one little overdub, one little organ, Farfisa organ thing. And uh, they loved it. And uh, I got my over- overdub and my name on the album. I pr- I pretty much uh, got to play with uh, uh, one of one of the lead Rolling Stones, one of my favorite guys who writes, comes up with a lot of the songs. Keith's a great songwriter. So what's it like working with Keith? 
you just nothing but smiles and good vibes. You know what I mean? He was yeah. just like, nice, beautiful mate. Come on in. And I was like, I did one take. And he says, that was it. That's perfect. Come on in. And then he played the rest of his solo album. Now I was supposed to, I was supposed to leave right there. And he kept playing it cut after cut with his arm around yeah. me, singing, singing the, the vocals in my ear, you know, with his arm yeah. around. Like a, like I was one of the, felt like I was one of his best friends, you know. Uh, that's classic. What a yeah. what a classic moment. So yeah, it was for Keith, me. I'll never forget. I'm sure. So Keith first opens the door, and then next it's going to be with the Stones. We it's going to happen. We look forward to seeing you on tour, um, and listening to your new music, and just all the great things that have happened with the band. Um, you know, thanks for joining me on Story Behind the Song. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I want to thank all of our fans out there, friends and family that have uh, given us the loyal support after all these years. Yeah, we couldn't have done it without you. And God bless everyone. Thanks for joining us, David. Thank you very much. That was David Page, singer, keyboardist, and songwriter of Supergroup Toto, sharing his story behind the band's iconic track, Africa, which continues to bless the reins as it celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. I'm your host, Peter Chotti. You can follow me on Twitter at pchotti. That's P as in Peter, C as in cat, S like Sam, A-T-H like Harry, Y like yellow, and at creativemedia.biz. For more of the story behind the song, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in on the third Monday of every month for new episodes. And make sure you're following the Consequence Podcast Network to keep up to date with all our series at consequence.net forward slash consequence dash podcast dash network. And as always, thanks for listening to the story behind the song. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.